Good evening. This is Jen Bonet at the Creative Coast. Uh, I'm the executive director of the Creative Coast, and the Creative Coast is a nonprofit organization in the Savannah region focused on catalyzing the, like what I like to call the innovation economy. And that is uh, where technology and creatives and entrepreneurs come together to play, to have an impact on our community and on our world. And tonight is Entrepreneurs Night. We like to have a fireside chat once a, once a month with a successful entrepreneur in the Savannah ecosystem. And today we have Francie Edgerly with ITI Digital. Thanks for being with us, Francie. I'm happy to be here, Jen. It's really exciting to be a part of it. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Why don't we start with you telling a little bit about your background and telling us really about how ITI Digital got started. Um, yes, so my background, very briefly, uh, you know, I am uh, originally from South Africa. So when I left South Africa and working in the industry, hospitality and tourism industry, left South Africa, went to Germany, lived and worked in Germany for several years. That's where I learned to speak really good German. <laughs> I had no choice. <laughs> they were not going to offer that to us bilingually. So, and then... Um, I came to the United States, and that's through, you know, again, through the hotel. I worked for Intercontinental Hotels, so that's how I ended up in the United States. This is only very important because what the lessons I've learned from this is, is that, and, and I have to just brag a little bit about the United States, is that in the States we have opportunities that we just don't have, and we just don't have anywhere else. Um, and uh, the background, and, and, and I'll explain this in very briefly. Uh, for many years, we would have internships and we would bring, you know, uh, German interns. Right now, we've got a Brazilian intern. So I'm turn in, uh, these internships are very important. And my message always is the same to them, having had the experience to live in these different continents, you know, particularly when you talk about Europe and as it relates to entrepreneurs. In Europe, if 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 uh, in particularly Germany, right? Uh, let me just address Germany because that's where I live. Uh, if in Germany, if uh, you fail, you know they're ashamed to that. So when you start a business and you fail, you are kind of just you know put your head down and walk away. In the United States, in, you know, and this is a, a humongous difference in the United States. There is not shame in failure. There's shame in not trying. And that is the biggest difference. In the United States, if you start a business or anything you do, if you happen to fail, there, you know, and it may happen, it will. I mean, some entrepreneurs are born under this lucky star. Um, it, it works smooth all the way, but I'm sure they have their hiccups. But, you know, in, if you fail in the United States, there will always be somebody or a group of people that will say, that's not a problem. Get up, try again, and you get encouraged. So that's why there's more shame, you know, that here you are in this country and you're not trying. And that's where the shame is. And that's where the difference is. And I feel that this is why the States is so such an economic powerhouse because of this whole attitude about entrepreneurship and making people, encouraging people and looking at failure as an opportunity to learn and not something to be embarrassed about. 
So short and long, um, uh, and I'll try and make this very quick. I started the business. You know, my background, again, is hospitality uh, industry, tourism industry. Um, I started the business in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, it really started as a, as a consulting business. And I think this is a little lesson that I've learned as an entrepreneur. You have to be, you know, you have to look, and I don't know, you know, you have to look at what, what is the market doing. And I think it sounds easy, but sometimes when you're in the middle of the forest, it's hard to see the trees, right? And to be able to, so in Cincinnati, when I started the business, I really started as an international marketing consultant. Um, and what that meant is, is that we had offices, an office just outside London and then in, in Germany and in Dusseldorf. And we represented tourism offices in, in, in uh, UK as well as the German speaking countries and promoted, help them market their destinations to that European market. Now, the digital side came a little bit later on. Um, I, uh, I really was doing a lot of travel back and forth uh, in, in I, uh, to, to, your, you know, to Europe and back. And I really recognized as a consultant, I am, you know, I, I don't have a product. I needed a product. And again, having the opportunity to be a part of the, a bigger world, you know, in, in our industry, uh, ITB is a big international show. That's where I really could see where the world was going, and it was digital. And when Apple started launching and they came into play with the iPhone, Microsoft, what they're doing, it just opened the whole world for entrepreneurs to build businesses. And that's where I really started looking at how do we move from being a consultant versus being getting to digital because I felt very strongly and for once in my life I was right or read the signs right and get moving into the digital world. And once we moved into that world, we never looked back. Uh, I don't hear you. I, yeah, I was muted for a second. I, my, I have a little, my buddy, my coworker, Mocha, sometimes chimes in. So we have to like put, put it on mute there for a second. Um, so yeah, I mean, what a great story coming from big corporate travel and tourism and, and reading the tea leaves right and getting into digital. I'm going to have a question about that later. Um, but right now I'd like to know a little bit more about like kind of where your company is at from a size perspective. Like how many employees do you have? Um, maybe explain the business model a little bit. Like are you, do you have customers on like long-term retainers or annual contracts? And if so, like how many customers are you like dealing with at any given point in time or is it more project-based, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Okay. And so, it, you know, we're, we're about 15 people in, in our company. So we are rather small compared, especially Jen, some of these companies that you're working with. Um, our clients that we work with are tourism offices, right? So we work with um, regions, states and regions and cities, uh, convention and visitors bureau. Our product is um, is twofold. We do work on a per project basis when as we do search engine marketing campaigns or website development. But the the, the where the growth opportunity for the company is our SaaS, also software that we've developed. 
And this is, uh, you know, when I started the development on of this software, again, very particular for our industry, um, instead of having just one one type of software, um, I really looked, and, and because then you end up competing directly with, you know, so if I decide I want to do, I'm go, only going to have Instagram user-generated content, uh, as, and have that software, aggregate that content, and that has, helps the destination tell their story. So there's some strategy behind that, right? If, but if I only have that one product, somebody else can come up and say, well, I can do the same thing. And, I, you know, you have the bell, I'll have the whistle. And so you have that direct competition. So when I was looking at at the business model that we wanted. I wanted to have SaaS, uh, annual contracts is what we look at uh, and what we have, that, that's our target audience. Um, I looked at the Microsoft model and Microsoft's model is a, a, a suite of products, right? You have Word, you have PowerPoint, you know, you have Excel, and that was the model that, that intrigued me and that made a whole lot of sense to me. I think it's harder to duplicate that. Yeah. And that one part of it, the second part of it, the benefit to our clients is, is that they're going to work with one vendor that can offer them five different solutions, you know, SaaS solutions. So instead of working for five different vendors, they just work with one. So this is a kind of a win for everybody involved. So when people say, who are your competitors? We, we are cautious and we say, right now we won't see it because you never know right? right so so that that's our business model and that's really how we set up our product excellent about how many customers do you have we have close to you know a little bit over a hundred customers so you know last year was a pretty I think we've you know Jen we spend a lot a lot a lot of time in product development you're right so you develop the product then you go to market you you uh, uh, you know proof of concept you go out for that you test you test you come back. And so last year, and then you bring clients on board and you, it's a little bit like open source a little bit in a way, because these clients will then come back and say, well, this doesn't work this well. Can you guys add this or that? So that's how this involved. And literally, this is the first year that we're going in where we're not into a serious development. We're now working UX. How can we make that user experience better, different, you know, uh, changing, you know, for instance, we made a big change in October and it wouldn't mean a whole lot to everybody, but a big change we went from using, being working with Facebook as our, as, as our primary source, we switched to Google. And that was a big uh, switch from these two, two APIs for our software. So having said that, so this is really the first year where we say the product is there. And you never, you know this, it's genuine software. It's never perfect. It's never, you always ding with it, right? You're always going to make change something, you know, keep raising the bar. But we are at the place where it, it it's working the way it's supposed to. We're gaining traction. So we're looking at this year to be really a big growth year for us. That's exciting. That's exciting. Um, since you've kind of gone from consulting to um, in 
non-digital to consulting and digital and then added this SaaS product, I think I have to focus this next question. I usually ask about your first customer. Um, and it's really about how, you know, how did you get that first customer, that ever important first customer? It's a startup, you know, we've got a couple, we've got entrepreneurs that are going to watch us that are really honestly aspiring entrepreneurs with an idea and right. are trying to figure, that's a 90% of our audience. And they're trying to figure out how to get this idea off the ground. So finding that first customer is probably one of the hardest things on the planet. So talk a little bit about how you got that that traction with that very first customer. Okay, so here, here's the advantage that I have, Jen, because I already, you know, our company was known in our tourism industry. People knew who we were. Right. So I had the, you know, I just had clients that we've been working with for years and years on different projects. So that first customer was already somebody that, you know, was an organization that already knew us, was familiar with us. So that's a, an advantage, right? So yeah. uh, but it's so so that very first customer was really that you know actually was New Spona Beach, Florida, that said, yes, I see this, I get it, and, and I want all of it, you know. And for them it was really changing for their website, their content strategies, how switching their content strategies, but but we already had that trust. So that that's a really super big advantage because I agree, everything, you know, we're working on trying to enter a new market where people don't know us and it's always the same, right? Is anybody else doing this? Who else is doing it? And to be able to, so you have to get that one person that's going to say, I get it and, and I, I want to do this. And, and it's not easy. It, it really isn't. Yeah, it's all about the warm intro, right? Yeah. <laughs> you go into a new market and you can get a warm intro for somebody that's respected in that space. It's like, wow, okay, the world is just opened up. So I think it's really interesting. I, a lot of entrepreneurs will come to me with multiple ideas. And sometimes they want to go exact opposite of everything they've ever done in their entire life. And I, I always have to question that. I think because it would be so much easier to start a company where your current relationships are valuable assets to the new business. So it's kind of interesting, but sometimes people want to go exactly the opposite direction. So it's really interesting to me. Um, talk about the funding model. I mean, I'm assuming you self-funded to date, um, really, really, I would call it customer funded, right? It was a consulting business. So the customers funded the development. As you got more and more customers, you were able to put some money towards, towards the development. Um, so talk about whether or not you took any outside funding and in either way, whether you took it or not, what are the pluses or minuses to the method that you chose or, or the path that you went down? Yeah. Jen, that, that, that is, this has always been in a way, a little bit my Achilles heel, you know, they say as an entrepreneur, you should not have any fear, uh, but I have a fear of partnerships because I've seen so many of them go go south, right? So my funding, you're right, is customer funded. It is, and I think, uh, let me just explain, and it's Bank of America. And uh, in the beginning, like so many entrepreneurs, it's your credit card, right? Uh, thank you, we're beyond that stage, which is great news. But the, the, so, the, so the positive side of being self-funded, you know, and grow with your own funds and, you know, everything you have, you invest. I don't mortgage the house. I'm, I'm at least that smart. <laughs> <laughs> mortgage my house for the business. 
but um, it's, uh, it's great. Um, I don't have a partner. So, you know, I have team members that shares my passion, but I, my, the only people I, uh, uh, that drives the business that I report to are our clients. So that's great, right? That's really nice. Yeah. The negative on that is by, is not having that fund is, is that your growth is a lot slower. Right, because you've got to, you've got to, you know, you, you you keep shifting into, you know, you grow in in stages. Where if you can, if you can get beyond that fear factor, for me it was a fear factor, or is, and I think getting that investment and getting the right investor, that's I think is would be the most immediate growth opportunity. So I'm not sure, you know, and every and Jen, you know better than I do. Everybody has to take their own path. I've just, I just, it, it's a difficult choice. You know, if you, you know, if you have a, you hear the wonderful stories of the angel investor came by, gave you all this money, never interfered with your business, you know, and then they think, right, never told what to do. That's a myth. I, thank you. And because I, <laughs> let me buy a lottery ticket. Let me, you know, I gotta do that lottery thing. But, but, you know, but then you hear, you know, uh, I heard this this uh, podcast about the uh, is it the chicken sandwich, chicken salad chick, right? And and she was telling the story how she and her husband kept growing, and they like my nightmare story that what they told. So they got an investor, uh, they owed fifty uh, percent uh, or forty nine, they owed fifty, they didn't split it halfway. But anyway, so they quickly found out that this partnership is not going to work. So then they said we want to get out of it, and then the investor said, "Well, sorry, Charlie, you can't do that. You've signed this contract. In order to get out of this, you need." Three three million dollars and then of course you know you it's the fine print so the company they spend all their time all their years building from zero is now hanging you know it all can go up you know in smoke so to speak but the, it, it the story ended well uh, they do the last they seem to be doing okay so <laughs> But you see, that's the opposite side then of it is, right? The very last day when they just were going to give up, somebody I think was a, a, a builder gave them $3 million to buy the business back. And then from there was an investor. You see, now there's the positive story. And from there, they took off, they built their franchises, and they're 70 plus million or billion whatever dollar company so there's always two sides to it i think there's a lot a lot a lot to be said to get that investor you know but you know i obviously has a trust uh problem i think i need counseling or something <laughs> i i think it's very hard because it is it is it is a long-term relationship it's you know best case scenario five to ten year game like if you take outside funding, right? Most startups that get acquired are acquired in the closer to 10 years than five. So so it is a long-term relationship and you have to find the right people. And I think oftentimes people take money and don't actually remember that they should be uh, interviewing the investor as in addition to the investor interviewing you. Like the investor is going to do deep dive due diligence on you or you doing due diligence on the investor becomes the question. I do think there's an interesting thing that happened because of COVID-19 uh, and the CARES Act 
is that this the um, the PPP program, the Payroll Protection Program, which just released phase two yesterday, um, was really about payroll, right? Taking right. care of payroll. But the idle program is meant to be used for other expenses, right? So that could include giving you some buffer, right? For companies that went for the idle loan. Um, I'll put it out there. The Creative Coast went for an idle loan um, and they look at kind of what your uh, income normally is and what your expenses normally are. And they had some sort of calculation and we qualified for $121,000. That's a thirty-year loan at two point seven five percent. That's it. And what was I mean, it? It's it's called the SBA Idle uh, Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, and there is still money out there available in that program. It's very easy to apply for, but you know um, now the board, the Creative Quest is a nonprofit. Uh, so we have a 2.75% rate, whereas a for-profit entity would have a 3.75 rate, but it's still 30 years. So it's almost free money. Whatever you get is basically almost free money to help you weather the storm of COVID and or build new products, expand, right? Um, to to actually help maybe grow. So I think there's there's an opportunity for people that took advantage of it to say, okay, I'm going to, use this money to help me stabilize during this crazy time, but also position ourselves better for the future. And, you know, like I said, the Creative Coast got $121,000. So we're, you know, $300,000 a year revenue organization, you know, and nonprofit. So our revenues and our expenses are neck and neck every year. But now we have cash in the bank to protect us for the future. So, you know, and and to allow us to rethink, you know, add new programs and experiment and do some things and see what's going to happen. I do think that there's an opportunity for companies to take advantage of that still. So we might have to talk about that next week. I always like to talk to entrepreneurs about like when they, like when you launch a business, there's like so much uncertainty and, um, there's usually most entrepreneurs I talk to have some point where they were like, I didn't really think we we're going to make it past that. But once we made it, like I knew like we were going to be okay. There's like an inflection point somewhere along that journey that got you to where you are today. And so I like to ask people like it, what, you know, where were you at, at that inflection point? At what point did you, were you like, yeah, you know, we went through these three tough things, but then we were there. As it relates to our software, you know, I it's really when people started investing in, because I look at it as an investment, buying the software services. When yeah. we got to the, you know, you know, you know, the first client, you you go, wow, you know, okay, they they bought it because they really like me, <laughs> and then. And then, you know, when you get to about, you know, after about the 10, 20, and now it's there, you you know, you've been able to prove that you can handle the bugs in this in the software. And there's the, you know, you start getting that positive feedback. That that really was it for me. But I, I have to confess, and I, 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 I don't know, uh, entrepreneurship is a lifestyle, Jen, right? So I always, uh, I just always... I just always knew it will work. And if it doesn't, you know, you go down this road and you're like, ah, this is not working. Oh, that's you. I thought it was my dog. So that's good. 
but, but but it's it, it's that it, it, you know knowing when to pivot. So I never, you know, I don't know. I just always believed it's going to work. I just always, you know, okay, this doesn't work. We got to do this. You know, Facebook was giving us fits that if, if for multiple of reasons on how it worked in our software, them changing their rules uh, overnight. And then you, we arrive and like, what? You know, and then, oh, by the way, this notification came overnight and they changed everything. And then, you know, all Facebook developers, you know, that work with us, uh, Facebook has to scramble to make it happen. And it, it, it just always, you know, being on that, I don't know. I just always, I just always feel like it's going to work. Okay, this doesn't work. Let's, okay, let's look at Google. Well, Google's going to cost you money. Okay, I'll partner with Google and because their business model is revenue, right? So I'd rather pay for the rev, for the content and I know it's something I can depend on. But anyway, um, to answer your question, it's just, I'm always, you know, it's when you start getting more clients on board, you, you that I could never sell to to family because they never understood what we did. Everybody always says, well, I sold it to my sister and she really liked it. Um, but um, it's getting that ongoing, seeing the sales grow. But I never felt like, I just always felt it's going to work. I, I just like, I don't know what it is. Like I said, you know that. It's a lifestyle. So you just yeah. live that. You keep pivoting until you figure out what works. Right. 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 What would you say is your biggest challenge? Growing without investors, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, you know, I, I do think that's really, you know, I will say COVID, you know, I guess this is the way it is with God. Good comes with bad and so on. So COVID is really help businesses like ours, right, on the digital side. I don't only think ours, but digital is helping all of us. And um, I think people are more willing to look at new solutions and do business differently. Um, so, you know, the challenge is just is, is to to be in front of these people uh, at this right time. The timing is perfect for us and in our industry on every level. It's having, you know, the investment and it's really the, the having, you know, I've got a great sales team, but you, I need a bigger sales team. I need more people out there. And that's the challenge. And getting to that at this period, that would be the biggest challenge. As far as uh, digital in our industry, it's blue sky, in my opinion. Um, and I love, I love IBM's slogan, which is, you know, this is not a restart. It's a rethink. And in it, that's what we find in our every industry. Everybody is rethinking things that I used to do the same way year after year after year. Suddenly, they are no way. Hold on, Let's, we've got to do things differently. And we're like, yes. So that that's kind of um, the hard part and and the good part about. It. Well, and that's different than March, though, right? You and I had a conversation in the end of March. And yeah. We were very worried. Yes, very different, and a good point. A good point, and you know, in March, of course, you know, and then COVID and the sky was falling. 
what we found from our clients, they were good stewards because they get their, they, they, most of them are, you know, from the tourism side, they funded by, by bed taxes and so on. And they were really, for I, I want to say 99.9%, they were very good stewards of the taxpayers' money because they had funds set aside for rainy days. You know, so they had this funding. So I say they didn't stop their marketing. They kept staying in front of their audiences. They switched more of their investments to digital, which benefited us. So, yes, That's so good. that all yeah. changing. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, you were, I remember a conversation on the end of March where we, we were packing up our cars. We were leaving novel, right? And you guys were packing up and I was packing up and we're saying, we'll see you when we see you kind of thing because shelter in place has been called, right? And, and it was amazing, Jen, because, yeah. you know, it, it, it was just, you know, I, it was just incredible how, you know, and then vacation rentals, that is just a, they, and you've got one of those short-term rentals that is just taking off like a rocket. So many of our clients, before all the reasons, right? People are not that excited about hotels. Uh, for and, and I noticed some of them are now offering one night stage. You can stay just for one night. So they're going in direct competition with the hotel companies. But uh, so many of our destinations have vacation rentals, which they also get bad taxes. So for a while, they were holding their breaths and, you know, everything went on hold. That's why we were so concerned. What is this going to look like? But then because of vacation rentals, you know, they kept thriving. Yeah. And, and let, let me, thriving may be overstating, but they were holding their own. So Right. They had expected to totally tank. And then the world changed because, I mean, I think people took advantage of more driving vacations than, than airports and stuff like that. But people got sick of staring at the same four walls. So it was, let me go stare at four walls somewhere else <laughs> and maybe take a walk on a beach. Well, <laughs> um, Wyoming is now having a big tourism boom, you know, and uh, open spaces, right? And yeah. And that's where, you know, our technology and software that we offer is really something they are, you know, that we're working with them on. So it, it just changed. You know, Wyoming, I don't know if they ever would have, you know, you know, Wyoming is a great state, but they never really have seen such a tourism boom. And so that, you know, the trickle effect, right? So. Now they're looking at, oh, how can I reach more people? And that the way you do it, just through your digital, that's how you do that. Yeah, very cool. So I always like to ask people what their definition of success is, because I think success is very personal. Like one is corner office, Ferrari, right? And big house or whatever. Other people is like, hey, I want to make a good living and have fun, right? So I like to ask, what, what is your definition of success? Okay, first of all, I, I don't want to sound Pollyannish, but you know, really, in these two levels. So let me start with the fun part. If you ask Alan, my husband, his idea of success would be a bigger boat. <laughs> a bigger boat. <laughs> but uh, for me, success is you know financial security, not only for for me, but for the team, right? It's for them to have that finance, to be able to help, you know, because as you grow your business, you can give more people opportunities, right? Because you can hire more people and you can watch them grow. That's success, you know, that you can, to be able to do that. And then delivering a product 
that help help your clients grow, you know, and see the excitement that they see is like, wow, we didn't think we can do that. That's success. And that when you can do that, you know, we well, none of us have been to tourism or conference or trade shows, but you know, the success is when you walk down the aisle and everybody look at you and they have a big smile on their face and say, hey, you know, they don't go and try the other way, walk the other way. So that's success has many, many forms. And you're right about that. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question that I didn't pre, pre tell you about in an earlier email because it came up actually because of your your origin story where you kind of pivoted into where you are today, right? You went from international consulting, kind of saw the light, went towards digital, we're doing the website and more custom work, and then saw an opportunity to move into SaaS products that supported the same market you know, which is travel and tourism. Travel and tourism has been through a really rough year. Um, I'm really, really optimistic about the future of travel and tourism. Um, I'm optimistic about the future of remote work. Um, and, and I'm very optimistic about the future of our small but driving tech scene and uh, creative technology scene in Savannah, Georgia. So I'm just curious as to, you know, when you think about the future of your um, industry coming out of COVID, what do you see in the travel and tourism space? Well, Jen, everybody is very, you know, it's very, very excited and optimistic, right? Uh, I think the, you know, that, that's what I, what we hear from everybody, you know, everybody, I think every business, the vaccine being out there, they feel a lot more optimistic. But, you know, look at the business, tourism business we have in Savannah. Isn't that amazing? If I look at out of my office, I walk out of novel. Isn't it great to see the horse-drawn carriages, you know, people? And and so, yeah. yeah. So when we talk to the executive directors, you know, the presidents and so on, of these tourism divisions, they every one of them are very optimistic. They see growth, you know. They've, uh, you know, um, I think many of them worked very hard not to lay off people. You know, they 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 really worked. They care about their people. So overall, they are. I mean, everyone we talk to, they've cut our budget. You know, we hear the same. Our budgets are cut, but and there's always a but, right? You know, but we, we've made some changes or we see the future or we believe, you know, uh, but in July, it's going to be different. So uh, I think how everybody's doing business is different. Uh, and, um, but again, they just total optimism, which it is almost, maybe I'm overstating it, but I, I feel a little bit, a little bit, a little also excitement from, you know, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and we've learned lessons and um, and they're going to apply those lessons. So that's where we are now. And yeah, I know I can't wait to travel. So, I'm going to yeah. plan a big trip for either the fall, winter, Q4 or early 2022. Yeah. Um, all right. One of my last questions, and then I am going to open it up to anybody that would like to ask a question or two in the audience. Um, 
give it, um, you know, I always like to ask somebody to give uh, a tip. So we've got a lot of, again, aspiring entrepreneurs, first-time entrepreneurs that are just starting their business. We're going to be kicking off the Idea Accelerator Bootcamp for people at the idea stage uh, the week of February 1st. You know, what are your tips for somebody just getting started on their entrepreneurial journey? Oh, dear, there's so many, right? You know, <laughs> oh, um, have grit, you know, have that go-get-it attitude, have that grit, you know, challenge yourself. You, you never stop learning. I always say, you, you, we all say, it, I don't know what I don't know. So I've never worked with software developers. You know, I spend a lot of time learning, reading, you know, so I understand what questions to ask, and you know, to help, because part of the entrepreneur's role is to help the team think things through, right? So you have this brilliant idea, and like, you know, and helping, driving them through that, you know, to be passionate, you know, and I think any entrepreneur, they are passionate, you know, um, to trust yourself, believe in what you're doing, trust that, you know, that, have that faith in you. And, and that's hard because you get your tail kicked every now and again. And sometimes you're like, ah, oh, is am I the only one that sees this? You know, but 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 trust yourself, uh, you know, and take risk. Uh, when when I started looking at, okay, we're going to create a software suite and you know, nobody's ever done that. Okay, we're going to do this. You know, take the risk, you know, you know, so will it? Will it? Are you? Will you? Will will it pay off? I don't know, but I'm going to go down trying. You know, I'm going to take that risk because I I just I I just see that you know as something you visualize your goal, and I think something that's really important is to have a team that shares your vision. You know, you don't want to have to drag somebody over the finishing line. You know, it's like, come on, people, you know, you have to have that team that's like, oh, my gosh, what about this? We can do this. We can do that. And having that team. And that's not easy. It's easy to say that. But to find that team, I understand that it's easy. But it's as an entrepreneur, it's easier if you have that team that that that, you know, that that also shares your shares your vision. The one I have to work on is overcoming fear. What's my fear? To get an investor. <laughs> Other than that, I'm fearless. I'm there. Yeah, I don't think uh, entrepreneurship is is being fearless. I think entrepreneurship is saying that the fear is not going to stop me. That's true. That Well said. Because you're right. You do have fear, you know, the what if, right? Selling a big customer, like going into a really big customer the first time, like you're going to have butterflies in your stomach. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts. You're going to be nervous, right? There's, you know, you're going to, you're going to not sleep the night before because you're petrified of that meeting. Um, but you got to walk through it. You got to do the meeting. You got to take the meeting and hopefully you nail the meeting or eventually you'll get to a point where you nail one of those meetings. Right. Um, so I think it's, it's acting in spite of fear right. versus not having fear. That's very well phrased. You're right about that. See, you're a mentor. <laughs> I love you, Jan. You help us. Well, thank you. Um, so I did want to open it up to anybody that's on on tonight. It is 6.45, so I try and keep these to about less than an hour. So we have a few more minutes. So I like to keep it right around 45 minutes to an hour. Um, 
does anybody on have any questions that they would like to ask uh, Francie? If so, feel free to unmute and ask. Yeah, Francie, thanks so much um, for being here. I do have a question and you kind of spoke to it a little bit, but just from a few of your answers throughout, I could tell you're, you are a good leader um, and you seem to really care about your team. And I'm just curious when you're hiring, uh, again, you kind of said looking for people that are motivated and on the same page as you, but what are, how did you go about, I guess it's kind of two questions. How did you go about deciding on what works for your company culture and um, what's your philosophy um, for, for managing your team? It, you know, I, I know that's you're, I think you're remote, right? Or everybody's kind of remote right now, I'm assuming, but how do you, how do you manage? <laughs> that's the, open the question. Uh, the, and yeah, that's the, those are big questions. That's for sure. So the, um, the how we manage is, you know, I am a collaborator. I like to collaborate with the team. Uh, I, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I will make that decision. But the company culture is we collaborate, we, and we, um, you know, I expect team members, you know, to come with ideas, to share ideas, and, um, and, and to be active participants in whatever we do. So uh, that, that would be the, the best way, you know, the, that's the culture. You know, we, for instance, we were, yeah, I need their input. That's that's what I'm after. You know, we we want that collaboration. Um, uh, I and a, the challenge I think for any manager, not just for the entrepreneur, is recognizing the the gifts that each person brings to the table, and then to work with them and nurture that. I usually, when when um, we hire, I would say you're being hired for this particular position. And, but you're going to write, at the end of the day, you're going to write your own job description because we're going to find out where your gifts and your talents are. Right now, you may think you're, you know, like Megan that just joined our team. She's got big tech, you know, background and experience. But I think, you know, I have an idea where I think Megan can go, whether she ends up going that way. So what we hired for her, for to do may change into something different. So I feel as a leader, uh, you know, we as leaders, we have responsibilities to neuter our team, you know, create that environment where they feel that they can grow and neuter that talent and that gift that they bring to the table. I don't know that answer. But... Oh, it did. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. All righty. Nice. It looks like Matt, Mark has shown his camera, so I'm thinking Mark has a question. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hi, Francie. Hey there, Mark. Nice to see you. Yes. Um, just a few uh, observations regarding uh, some of the comments that you made earlier, and that is um, Elon Musk, uh, who is from South Africa, uh, views the United States as a nation uh, tolerant of risk takers. Uh, it was, um, and he has talked about uh, how he immigrated from South Africa to Canada, then uh, was at uh, Wharton in um, uh, the U.S. to earn uh, degrees in uh, physics and economics. And then uh, he went on to Silicon Valley uh, because of the technology and opportunities uh, he saw there. Uh, another comment is, or observation is from Reed Hoffman, founder of LinkedIn. 
he said that speed to taking products to market is critical and entrepreneurs should innovate and fail fast. You talked about uh, uh, tolerance uh, for risk-taking and failure. Uh, you mentioned uh, Cincinnati. I lived there from 1991 to 2006. Oh, my gosh. That's we should we should talk sometime uh, regarding uh, our experiences there. Cincinnati is a great city, isn't it? Yes. Uh, any excuse for a festival? And uh, there is um, a large uh, Eastern European and German uh, influence there. Yeah. Yep. Of course, you've attended uh, Oktoberfest, uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Which is, uh, yeah, uh, uh, quite the event there. Um, I have a few questions, and I'll start with this one. Uh, how do you price your software? Advertising, click-throughs, subscription? It, it's subscription uh, market. That's that's our uh, model. You know, we um, and again when we created the software suites, we would call, could call them widgets. You know, uh -huh. so you can subscribe. You know, so uh, it's all in its annual subscription. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the concern always, you know, in SaaS is the churn that you're going to start losing that business. Uh, I'm, you know, our renewals are about ninety eight percent. 99 percent so mm. our, you know it, it's it's pretty it's pretty impressive and and I think that is really you know so we start the year strong because we already know you know we already have renewals for 2021 20, uh, right mm. so uh, most of our efforts you know so we're not starting with a clean slate like we have to start over every year so we start mm. with a very strong base. Mm -hmm. And and um, this year particularly starts with a strong base. So that the SaaS model is, is wonderful. I think when we started, we when the SaaS model came out, people didn't really understand it or like it. But now it's it's par for the course, right? And so that that's just more acceptable to mm -hmm. subscribe. They get the idea of what they're subscribing for. Mm -hmm. I spoke with uh, Alina um, a few days ago, and she said that some of your competitors uh, whose uh, pricing was based on advertising, uh, click-throughs, et cetera, uh, were certainly, um, um, you know, it was, um, they weren't getting the revenue that they had had prior to uh, COVID. Well, and, and that's uh, that is true, absolutely true, Mark. And it, you know, the digital, the digital marketing is just—it's it, a very, very competitive environment. So I'm very happy, you know. So our company is not one-dimensional; that we only do right SaaS. So we do SaaS, we do digital, you know, uh, website about. So that helps. It helps us, you know, when, you know, through that valley, you know, ups and downs, right? Mm -hmm. And yes. the search engine marketing, the click was great uh, for a while, but I, I early on wanted to not be as involved with that. And that's true. That's exactly what we're seeing. Okay. Excellent. Um, next question I have is uh, some countries are promoting their locations as havens for digital nomads. Uh, oh. the, number, the number of digital nomads is 
estimated at more than a billion by 2035. Uh, is your company involved with this segment of travel and tourism? No, we're not, but it sounds like we should be. <laughs> mm -hmm. It sounds yeah. like we should be. That's, yes. Yeah. Yeah, some of them, for example, uh, Bermuda. Uh, there's also an island uh, off of uh, uh, near Portugal. Um, uh, Tallinn, Estonia. Some of these places are offering um, one-year visas. Uh, the uh, nomads have to produce evidence of um, monthly in regular monthly income as well as other documentation uh, to um, be allowed to um, enter the country and um, apply for these um, uh, visas. Yeah, I have a friend that runs Nomad X out of Portugal. He's oh. a former entrepreneur out of Atlanta, he, uh, Dave Williams, and ran uh, 360 Interactive. Mm -hmm. uh, was his last Atlanta-based startup. Um, and he's been doing the digital nomad thing for probably five years now. So he's been ahead of the curve, but um, he, he really struggled. They struggled a lot in the, sh the first shelter-in-place orders, but now things seem to be opening up across the globe. And it's... yeah. Um, it's it's a big thing. It's well, Savannah's been able to take advantage of it from the remote worker incentive that CETA introduced. We've had sixty six zero people move to uh, Savannah. Tech workers with three plus years experience moved to Savannah since June first. Mm -hmm. That's a big number. Yeah, it's so, music to our ears. We love that. Yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. just growing the workforce. Keep them coming. Excellent. Uh, next question I had was, um, uh, you have a, a service for specifically for vacation rentals. Why would a prospective client choose your solution versus Airbnb or some other content management system? Well, uh, you know, what we've seen, Morgan, I'll try and answer this very succinctly as I can. What we, uh, you know, what we do specifically, and I have to explain it just, we provide content for the websites and it's all automated. Mm -hmm. So when you look at vacation rental companies, particularly their website, you know, they have to uh, market the destination before they can start selling their vacation rentals. So, mm -hmm. and usually the content that they have on their website are really lame. It's very static. It's, you know, blogs, it's it, it's not very interactive. We've been in the destination marketing industry, you know, that's what we do, that's what we market, you know, we destination marketing experts, that's, that's our business. So it's that content that we now deliver that's automated and that just, it really helps them on the vacation rental side, if we talk about it, you know, having that content, uh, it helps them on different levels. They reach new markets uh, because it's people that's never, for instance, been to Savannah. And so that they reach new markets. They provide guest services because now it's, you know, let's show me hotels, show me restaurants nearby, you know, and it has travel tools in it so that the guest services, it encourages people to come back often and stay longer because our events widget you know, that's, you know, we deliver content daily, you know, for events, things that's mm -hmm. happening, for instance, in Savannah. And we can do this 
for any city anywhere. So events is usually the number one, you know, top five, if not the number one most visited page because people want to know what can I do when I'm there? So if I can see there's a lot of cool events, there's a piano player, you know, there's a cooking class, whatever it might be, that encourage people to come back often and stay longer. So that's going to have drop down, you know, help their bottom lines. And then our uh, content management system helps them to also manage their advertising, right? So if they want to generate revenue, so it's not just only the content that we deliver, but the CMS is going to help them to publish advertising, you know, and I won't go into detail on their website. So it's not just a CMS system that manage. So we deliver dynamic content. They have a CMS system that they can manage the content with. And then they, you know, there is now uh, also the, the travel tools and, you know, the, the opportunity for them to manage their advertisers on there, where they are published on the site, you know, on the top, on the left, you know, whatever it might be, create specific categories. So that it becomes a revenue generator. So everything we do for the vacation rental, you know, that's a really good model for us or good match because they are for profit, right? Unlike our tourism offices, which are nonprofits. But for them, we can, for a vacation rental, we can really affect that bottom line. Excellent. Yes, uh, your site is very visually appealing. And as you said, uh, it, it flows uh, very interactive. Um, do you push content uh, to uh, social media? Do you, for example, if uh, I create a listing in your uh, on your site, uh, do you have something that automates the uh, push to uh, multiple uh, channels? The answer is no, but okay. we use, we, you know, we are, you know, uh, um, like we use Instagram, but we pull that data, right? Instead of pushing it out, we're going to pull that data into the website. So we do use social media. Uh, Google, for instance, we use reviews. And so that's part of social media, type of social media as well. But we pull the content so we don't push that out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Excellent. We are uh, coming up here on 6.58. So being mindful of everyone's time, I am going to uh, call it an evening. Francie, thank you. Uh, thank you for participating this evening. I congratulate you on your success to date and hope to see you continue to grow and thrive uh, and part of our start or be part of our Savannah uh, entrepreneurial community. Well, and Jen, I want to thank you for being such a, great leader and motivator and the vision that you have you know you always stop by my office maybe once a month or every other month and that's what you do for our as entrepreneurs you encourage us and you know and it's great you have the experience you know what it takes to be there so we appreciate you so thank you very much Jim. thank you all right have a great evening everyone thanks everybody. we'll see you next month <laughs>